What's going on, guys? AJ here back again with another episode of the E1B2 Collective Podcast. I'm just going to jump right into this one because this one is a pretty long one. Um, Situational leadership. This is something that I think I've naturally done very well throughout my career, but it's something that I never, number one, put a name to. Number two, I just never really did the time and the research to really understand some of the frameworks and some of the ways to think about it and some of the ways to kind of execute it uh, operationally. And you guys know me and you know this podcast and you know this brand. We talk directly to those growing startups and those growth organizations, those companies that are going from 15 employees to 50, to from 50 employees to 300, those companies that are growing in revenue, those companies that are growing in consistent complexities. And frankly, let's call it what it is. When you have revenue growing, when you have employees growing, when you have um, all these different complexities happening, problems are occurring. And so for me, why I push so hard for startups to take you know, the E1B2 collective seriously, the employees first mindset seriously, leadership seriously, employee experience seriously, strategic um, people operations seriously. The reason why I want that head of people to be higher number seven, higher number 12, higher number 20. The reason why I want these organizations to put so much energy and focus in bringing outside talent and support, whether that's a little bit of a plug, Startup EX, or whether that's other folks in this space that are doing great work. The reason why I want startups to take these things so seriously is because there's different frameworks and different best practices that can really help smooth the, the, the process as you're growing and as you're developing. And because there's different things that you can do, i.e. situational leadership, that can really help um, navigate those tough waters. And so what I'm just going to do is I'm going to literally in real time just give you guys my regurgitation, if you want to call it that, my two cents, my my brain dump on a lot of the situational leadership information that I've been studying over this past week. Um, you guys know me. I do a three-hour-a-day study every single day, a combination of white papers, blogs, podcasts, mentors, and um, situational leadership has been very much on my mind, and people analytics has been very much on my mind as well, but that is the weakest tool within my um, somewhat robust toolkit. Um, and so I don't feel super comfortable kind of talking on that quite quite yet, but uh, I definitely will make some content around that here soon. So let's jump in. For those at a macro level, the reason why I think situational leadership is so, so, so important. Well, first, let me define what that is for those that may not know. Situational leadership is nothing more than reacting to the situation as a leader. Um, so there's different phases of startups, and you guys know this. There's, let's call it phase one which is literally an idea. Let's say phase two, let's say phase zero was an idea. Let's say phase one is an idea with four to seven people where you're trying to find a product market fit. Let's say phase two or three is when you're going from a product market fit to really having a product market fit and really trying to scale and grow the organization financially. You're bringing in teams, you're making partnerships, you're figuring out channels of, 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 of distribution and you're really trying to scale up your efforts. Let's say sale. Let's say uh, let's say plan three and, and and process three around that three and four is when again you're growing to 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 employees and you're really hitting that scale. Again, I know there's different frameworks around the different phases of a startup, but let's just say those are some of the phases, right? Um, I believe situational leadership, as a definition, reacts well to each one of those phases. Now, 
for me, there's different types of leadership that make sense for different phases of the startup growth and the startup lifestyle and the startup process. Now, my issue and the problem, in my personal humble opinion, with a lot of startups, with a lot of founders, with a lot of leaders, is their reaction, their leadership style is the same within within every single phase. And so let's just talk about this at a very real level. And this is what I've been trying to speak to. This is what I've frankly been trying to say to angel investors, what I've frankly been trying to say to recruiters I'm trying to build partnerships with, what, I'm tried, what I've tried to, tried to say to VCs, what I've tried to say to CTOs, CMOs, that I'm trying to build like kind of uh, contextual relationships with. It's not that you don't have the ability to grow your company and do well. It's that when you're a founder, most founders that I'm looking at, most even managers that I'm seeing inside of these companies, you guys are great at a certain thing. You're great at, you know, tech. You're great at code. You're great at um, product. You're great at marketing. You're great at operations. You're great at marketing. You're great at these micro areas that are, don't get me wrong, are incredibly, 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 incredibly important to getting your company to the to the point where you have a product market fit and you're trying to scale. But once you get past that product market fit, and you guys know me, I talk a lot about this, and that's really what the E1B2 Collective is designed to really support. Once you get past that phase, once you get past those rabbit holes of like a team that really, really, really needs to be excellent in their own individual buckets, you're inevitably going to have teams around you. And there's going to be different situations and different phases. And so the reason why I push so hard for these companies to take these things seriously is because if you could react and have situational leadership and know how to handle the different complexities and the people that you're bringing into your org, the same level of speed and efficiency that you had in the front end, you can continue to have on the back end as you grow. That's the only reason I really care about these things. It's not that I'm this, and I've said this a time and time, time and time again, it's not that I'm this you know, I'm this Allah, you know, freaking godlike, you know, nurturer where I just want everyone to love each other and I just want everyone to be beautiful and perfect and Gandhi-like, though I do have some of those qualities in me. It's frankly around I have seen and I have been a part of organizations that have either A, failed because they didn't understand elements of situational leadership, number one, and then number two, as they started to grow, they either maybe didn't fail, but they slowed themselves down. They missed out on opportunities. They missed out on great partnerships. They missed out on, on, on getting products out on time. They missed out on so many other factors that have, could have excelled the brand even faster if they had understood some of these elements. So that's frankly why I believe and care about this stuff. So let's get into the nuts and bolts here. First part of situational leadership are a couple of different elements. Coaching leadership. It's where you focus on an individual's personal development and job uh, specific skills. So I want everybody listening to this right now. Let's think back to what part of a startup phase, what coaching leadership really pertain. I'm not going to give you the answer yet, but just think about that. Second part, pace setting leadership, where leaders need to present high expectations of their staff. Let's think about what phase what moments, what problems, what, what, what situations where what, what pace setting leadership really take over and be a really good go to move? Democratic leadership, where your staff are nearly equal to the leader when in, in terms of decision making processes and frameworks. You guys have heard me talk about that a lot. Let's think about those moments. Uh, affiliate leadership, where your staff 
comes first in all situations. So you literally are putting them first and trying to collect data, trying to collect feedback, trying to collect their perspective anytime you're making a decision, aka you won't literally move on a decision until you've gotten that feedback, you've gotten that data, you've understood where your people are coming from. So you guys have heard me talk a lot about that, aka E1B2. Um, authoritative leadership, where leaders take charge in identifying and analyzing the problems and allow uh, your staff to take take part in that process. So that pretty much means for me, you know, me being a leader, I may take charge in, in, in identifying problems, analyzing situations, doing what I do best, but I'm looking to my right and to my left, to all of my team members, and I'm saying, guys, here's the problem that we're facing. Here are the situations that we're going through. What should we do about these circumstances? How do we navigate this? And allowing their experiences, since they are on the ground floor, since they are probably talking to consumers, they are out in the field, I want to get their insights to make sure that my analyzing, my perspective, my theory, my whatever is really uh, competent. It's actually the right thing to think about. It's the right way to go. Um, And then it's corrective leadership where leaders tell, simply tell subordinates what to do. And there's a phase within a startup where I believe that takes uh, that takes some value as well. So let's let's get into these and let's talk about some of the moments here. Let me start from the bottom to the top. Corrective leadership. So literally telling your, your subordinates or your, your staff, literally what to do. I believe in my experience and just seeing startups and being a part of startups and just studying and researching startups, I believe there's a place here where you literally tell people what to do. And I've talked a lot about this. You know, you, you guys have heard me kind of sit on the soapbox here about a couple brands and projects and things that I was putting together and some of the, the complexities that I was dealing with. And I think, I think for a couple things, number one, if, if you're a, uh, if you have a founding team and then you have a few subcontractors, even let's say you have a few full-time staff, but the founding team, you guys are smart, you're brilliant, you are uh, industry leaders when it comes to like you genuinely understand the industry in and out, you genuinely understand what needs to happen within the product you're trying to develop and you're still trying to even get a product market fit. Corrective leadership honestly might, might be the way you the way you go. And here's a couple of reasons why. Number one, I'm a big fan of meritocracy. I'm a big fan of like, who's the best person to speak on these things, speak on it. And if you have a team structure right now where you may be, as the founding team, the best person or people to speak on a certain decision and to make a certain decision, then let's do it. Because what's going to happen is it's going to create speed and it's going to create efficiency. So even though I'm the E1B2 guy, I'm the E1B2 guy from a contextual level. And so... Let's talk about this practically. Again, you have an idea. You now have a product that's developed. You're now trying to find a way for that product to be a product market fit. You have three co-founders, maybe one full-time BD person, and a couple subcontractors. I genuinely believe maybe corrective leadership is the way you go. Maybe you telling your staff exactly what to do and how to do it for that speed, for that efficiency is the way to go. Because maybe you have the most competence and the most contextual points in the room. Now, there's a lot of pushback that I probably could give you around how to go about that. But I would not be upset if that style of leadership you had for a certain moment, right? And that's the thing, situational. You cannot have that forever. But I can understand that that is the type of leadership that you needed to have for a moment. 
Let's get into authoritative leadership. So that's where leaders take charge in identifying and analyzing problems and uh, allowing your sub, you know, your subcoordinates and, and your staff to, to, to kind of be a part of the conversation. So let's think about the, the life cycle of a startup as well. So let's say you have some sort of a product market fit. Now you're out there testing. You're now you're out there experiencing. You're really trying to confirm a thousand percent that this product, that this service, that this initiative is actually going to work long term. I believe you kind of taking charge and identifying the problems and analyzing them, you should have 50% ownership of that. And then I definitely can see a situation where maybe you have a a few more full-time folks. Maybe you have a few more subcontractors. I believe you lean heavily into conversations and to surveys and to really seeing what, what are they seeing out in the field. You know, maybe you have a few BD guys. Maybe you have a few sales guys. Maybe you have a few, maybe, maybe you're, maybe, maybe your CTO you brought in at a fractional level. Maybe you have a couple other things happening inside of your staff and your team that are more front-facing to the consumer. Maybe you want to get their feedback at a very real level because you think you have a product market fit, but you're double down and you're double clicking on that perspective, on that narrative. I believe, shit, bringing them into the conversation is a really, really important thing. You don't just want to say, here's what to do, here's how to do it, let's go. You really need to understand if you even have a good sense because think about it practically. You are now, in the first example, as a corrective leadership style, you were one of maybe four or five. Now you're one of nine. Now you're one of 12. Now you're one of 17. And when you're one of 17, you're now close. Now you're, you're, now you're further away from the sun. In the corrective leadership moment, you may have been fully in the sun. You may have been burning up. But now you're a little bit further away. Now you're not as close to the consumer as you may as you were before. Maybe you're not as close to the the moments contextually that are happening day in and day out, a week in and week out. Maybe you're having more conversations with partnerships. Maybe you're on. Uh, maybe you're having more conversations with finance. Maybe you're really strategizing, doing some other things. You're not in the mud, in the muck as much. And so you have to lean on allowing your staff to really you know, be a 50-50 partner in analyzing and identifying some of the problems. Let's go to affiliate leadership. This is where uh, employees come first in all situations. I think there's a place here as well. I think there's a place here as well. Now, I think it's a little bit further on down the process. So I'll give you a perfect example. Let's say, you know, you're 70 employees, uh, you're a few million in revenue, things are kind of moving and grooving, and you're realizing that you need to double down and fix a few processes here and there. You're realizing that you need to go back and, and really have conversations with your 60 employees and figure out what's, what is it, what is it going to take to make them stay. You're realizing that, um, you're realizing that you want to potentially roll out some new products, some new, some new programs, some new tools. You're realizing that you want to make, make a, a, a better push, a deeper push into the market. You've realized that you want to make new partnerships. But at the end of the day, you need to have that buy-in. You need to have that engagement of your staff. You need to have that full, that full enthusiasm from everyone involved to spark the innovation, to spark the ideas. Because now, think about it. Now you're, you're far away from the sun. When you were once a five-person, four-person, three-person team, you're now one of 90. You're now one of 70. You're now one of 60. And so there's so many other data points where you're probably no longer the right person to make the decision. You're literally not the smart. You may be the 17th smartest person in the organization when it comes to the contextual realities of your company, literally. And so that's why I'm always pushing and saying employees first, not just from a a Gandhi perspective, but from a very literal perspective. Like, think about it. 
If Beyond Brand turns into a, 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 a brand that is working with 100 companies a year and I have 15 employees and staff and we're jumping in and having 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 contextual conversations a month or a quarter with companies around you know different complexities that are involved with Beyond Brand executions, I may not be the best person to say, I think that's the best way to go about it. I think this is the best partnership to make. I think this is the best way that we should go into and to attack the market. I think this is the best way we should strategize and structure the service. I'm now I'm no longer the best person to make that decision. Everyone else around me are the best people to make the decision because they have the data. And so for you as a democratic leader, you need to understand that and be aware of that and realize the situation and give full ownership and give full access uh, to, to your people. And so the democratic leadership perspective and the affiliate leadership perspective, if you saw that I kind of slid that in there. They're very, very, they're very, very similar. You're giving full access to decision-making. You're giving full access to saying, hey, we are going to talk to you guys on an exhaustive level before we make any decision. And frankly, we're going to make the decisions that you guys uh, feel are best because you guys are actually out there. You guys have all of the data points. Um, Let's go to pace setting, uh, pace setting leadership, where leaders need to uh, present high expectations of their, subor- uh, their subordinates and, and their staff. Now, that maybe is a little bit more in the middle, right? So there may be moments where you have a product market fit. You're trying to get to the point where I just explained your 30, 40, maybe 50-ish employees. And you're realizing that you guys need to stay focused. You're realizing that you need to double down on your product market fit. You need to double down on the new processes you're, you're trying to put out to the world. You need to stay sharp. You need to stay tight. Maybe there's moments where you need to have high expectations. I think the high expectations is also very much in the beginning. So I think when you're at that seven to like 20 person phase, I think that's important as well because every new person that comes in, Setting high expectations and setting high clarity points is very important. That's how you set and keep the culture. It's a lot of the work that I do with Beyond Brand. And so I think that high expectations part, frankly, is something that needs to happen throughout the entire life cycle of a startup, no matter if you're five employees or a thousand. But um, I think the pace setting leadership component where you're really setting expectations, I believe it can happen a lot in the the, the, the beginning phase of like the seven to 20, where the seven folks there have probably been a part of the company for some time now, and now you're finally bringing in a new a new group of folks where you need to set expectations around not only this is how things are done here, but you need to understand how they want things to be handled, right? Because now it's no longer just your company. It's now our company. And so you need to figure out and set expectations of what are their expectations? What are they bringing to the table? How are they adding to the elements here as an organization? And then it's coaching leadership, whereas where you focus on personal development and job uh, specific skills. This is something that I think happens again at that 60, 70, 80, 100 uh, point mark here. This is where you need to start to go from. This is where I'll give you a perfect example. This is where you're starting to look around the marketplace and you're seeing a lot of companies starting to do what you guys are doing. You're no longer the one or two big boys on the block. You're no longer the only company that's doing a certain thing. You're no longer the only company that has this ability. You're no longer the only company that has this code. You're no longer the only company that has that strategic partnership. You're no longer the only company that has that that strategic strategy. You're no longer the only company that has excellent talent. You're looking around, like for example, uh, let me think of an example. 
Instacart is taking, uh, it's, it's, it's moving very hard. Um, you know, DoorDash, Uber, you know, these are examples of like the food delivery services. There's a lot of competition there. And so as those, now those are very, very fast growing organizations and they are no longer even in the conversation of, uh, of a startup, but coaching leadership and doubling down on the personal development and doubling down on the job specific skills, that's very important because there's a certain unique ability that needs to come into place. And then also when you're having so much competition around you, the talent internally needs to be at an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly high level for everyone to continue to level up because you have too much competition around you. It's very similar to an athlete. You know, when you first get into the league, you need to keep up the, 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 the pace and you're pushing very hard. But when you're in year seven and when you're in eight and when you're in year nine, that, that specific focus on your speed or your footwork or your throwing ability or, or your get up off the line, you need to make sure that that is fine tuned and that is at a high level. Because you are no longer the best team in the AFC. You're no longer the best player on your team. You're looking around. You've you got a lot of young bucks around you. And so that's a really good example. And so for me, I'm going to shut this down here. Everything that I've been saying is all about reacting to the situation. And so if you are a leader listening to this, of a startup, of a growing organization, all of these moments are contextual and situational to things that are happening within the tangible landscape of your brand. Finance, financially involved, uh, 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 products and service involved, uh, people involved. There's so many different circumstances that you need to react to. Now, you have to remember, the people that you have in your company are coming in in different phases of your company. So you cannot have one type of leadership that you stick in there for too long. Like you cannot be a corrective leader forever. You cannot be a pace setting leader forever. You cannot be a democratic leader forever. You cannot be an authoritative leader, affiliate leader forever. And that's what I'm seeing. That's what I honestly believe is the problem is too many startups and too many founders and too many managers are not being taught situational leadership are not being taught how to identify these moments and when to change and how to react and when to react and who to go to to learn how to react. They're sticking to their guns. They're sticking to who they are. There's no personal development. There's no leadership training happening. And so that's why you're seeing a lot of turnover. That's why you're seeing a lot of retention issues, new hire churn, a lot of drop off in productivity. Maybe there's alignment issues internally because you're not recognizing and realizing the stage and the state and the situation of your people, of your culture. You're thinking that you have the same people, the same conversations, the same culture, the same dynamics that you had at seven people. And now you're 84. You have to realize that your revenue has changed. Your problems have changed. The number of people you have has changed. The complexities, the situations have changed. And so um, this is just, this is not only a business thing, guys. This is a human being thing. That is a human being thing. This is a consistent issue in marriages. Like the same way that you acted when you were dating in your first six months is not the same way that you're going to act when you're in year 18. There's different things you got to do to spice things up. There's different things you have to do. There's different developments and maturity you have to do to react to the moment. You no longer are two, uh, are two fiery folks living in Miami with six-pack abs and a beautiful body hanging out, hitting the bar three, weeks and, uh, three, three nights a week. You now have four kids living in Oklahoma. You now have responsibilities. You now have realities that you have to react to. And so you have to be aware and read the room. That's what, that's what the title of this is going to be called. Read the room as a leader. 
That's what you need to do. You need to read the room as a leader. You have to be aware and understand of what's happening when it comes to revenue, when it comes to people, when it comes to problems, when it comes to product, when it comes to the market. You have to read the room. You have to react to it. And as always, another reason why I want you guys to do this is because if you do each one of these, your employees are going to be thankful. Your employees are going to be thankful. Your employees are going to realize the moments that you're in. And if you communicate that, look, guys, I'm moving into more of a corrective leadership moment right now. And here's tangibly why connected to the revenue. Here's tangibly why connected to the product. Here's tangibly why connected to X, Y, and Z. They're going to see something. They're going to realize something. They're going to respect something. And um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sustain engagement. It's going to sustain happiness. It's going to sustain respect. It's going to sustain clarity. And so, yeah, I'm done here. About a 25-minute episode. And uh, hope you guys learned something. Thanks a lot.